Welcome to Lights, Camera, Reaction, a movie podcast by Team Blue Post. Now, we aren't your typical movie podcast. We don't discuss the latest blockbuster film or any movies that have recently come out. Instead, the movies we discuss have two things in common. Number one, they're at least 10 years old. And number two, someone somewhere has decided it's worthy of note. This episode, we discuss Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. The plot of Dr. Strangelove follows three different groups. The first is a general who's gone completely nuts and orders an aerial strike on Russia. The second is the President of the United States and various generals trying to figure out how to stop the attack on Russia. Finally, we follow the pilot and the airmen aboard a bomber that is, well, flying over Russia. Dr. Strangelove was directed by Stanley Kubrick, written by Stanley Kubrick, Terry Southern, and Peter George, and it stars Peter Sellers, George C. Scott, Sterling Hayden, Slim Pickens, and hey, there's a little cameo by a very young James Earl Jones. Not really a cameo, it's more of a role, but still, young Darth Vader. And just so you know, while this isn't the first episode we've put out, this was the first theme we recorded. So we were still figuring some stuff out about how we were gonna make the show run. So just keep that in mind as you listen and enjoy. I've seen Doctor Strangelove before, and neither one of you have seen it until today. So, Charles, why don't you first talk about what your initial impression was after seeing the film? Okay. Well, first off, I think it's really great that we're starting with a title that's about the end of the world. I think that's all, all just right off the bat, fantastic. Are you trying to suggest it's timely? Uh, yes, it's a it's a very um, it's a very timely topic. Uh, no, but I thought it was. Uh, first, okay, so I loved it. I thought it was great, and I really liked the feeling of it and the kind of humor when it didn't look like it was going to be humorous because I like, I didn't know what it was going to be like. Um, so yeah, so I thought it was just fantastic. How yeah. about you, Kelly? I, I would agree. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of Kubrick from what I have seen of his work. I remembered hearing that it was like a comedy, and it started, and I was like, this maybe I'm thinking of a different Kubrick film because this doesn't seem like it's going to be a comedy. And then you start realizing it's, like, this dark comedy, but, like, yeah. the contrast with it was so well done that, like, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. The, it was really funny. I know. I, because I'd seen it before and I knew it was a comedy, of course, where I'm not necessarily laughing, but I'm waiting for you guys to be like, wait, is, are, are, we su- are we supposed to laugh or are we supposed <laughs> to be completely terrified? Well, I noticed that, like, a couple times, too, like, you would start laughing, Logan, and I was like, and I'm, wait, what? Like, why Why is Logan laughing? I'd look at Charles, and he was, like, dead serious. And I was like, okay, I didn't miss something. I, I think maybe because we haven't seen it as many times as Logan has, we're missing little things, you know, little gems. Uh, yeah, you laughed the first time he said the the thing. The, the thing that he says. The, our, the liquid. Um, or something fluids. Our fluids. Uh, yeah, our fluid. Yeah. But, yeah, so you laughed the first time he said that, and I was kind of like, that's not... That funny. <laughs> That's what I was that too. I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> and then it becomes a, a greater thing. Later. Yeah, no, the reason why I wanted to have this be the first movie we'd go into is because I feel like we're in at a time where an absurdist take on a very serious subject matter, in this case, atomic war, yeah. just seemed appropriate. Uh, I, I wouldn't even call it absurdist. It was fairly, fairly. representative of yeah. reality. You know, it was like, that was the weirdest part about it was that it was like, the 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 clip played at the intro that was like, don't worry, the Air Force has made sure this shit's not going to actually happen. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> let's see what that means, I guess. And you took um, that like so seriously, you're like, 
Whoa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know if that's absurd. It's completely within the realm of possibility, except that the Air Force made sure that it wouldn't happen. Well, it, it's just that there's, in this film, there's a lot of very ridiculous things yeah. that mm-hmm. happen, and that's where I think it falls into the definitely nowhere near, like, Python-esque level of absurdity, right. but there's definitely a strain of absurdism. Right, right it's a little exaggerated, right? Yeah. You know. Dr. Strangelove himself, I oh, think, was the, yeah. the big one of that. So, initial impressions were good, but... Let's go on and let's just start going over the film from the beginning. So, of course, it starts with this little disclaimer saying, hey, the Air Force assures us this won't happen. Yeah. And then let's watch a movie where, you know, start to question whether or not that's true. <laughs> right. So it starts off, the the kind of the beginning is this general of an Air Force base issues an order, right? Or he he, he says that he received a special yeah, he order. Receives, he says he received orders from the Pentagon to institute basically an aerial attack on Russia. But he didn't right. really. A nuclear yeah. attack yeah. on Russia. He believed that communism is evil and that it needed to be scourged from the earth. He was insane. Well, huh. yeah, sure. He was just wanting to defend his, you know, the purity of his bodily fluids. The purity of his bodily fluids. Or what was it? Peace on earth. Uh, purity of essence. Purity of essence. essence. So we start with this general of the Air Force sending his B-52s on a mission to bomb Russia with nukes. And how many did he have? Did he... he well, that's it was the like thing 30, that I find right? crazy in the movie is if you watch the board in the war room, uh-huh. it's like every B-52 bomber within range of Russia apparently was under this guy's command. Oh, oh, you know what it was? In the very intro, there was this 1950s-esque documentary-style voiceover. All of the American forces are within, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And it mentioned that every Air Force base that had a nuclear weapon was within two hours of its expected target. Yeah. This Air Force base is two hours away from Russia, probably. Oh, no, the, the, no, the planes were flying around. Flying yeah, around. Yeah. yeah, it was. It wasn't necessarily that the base was two hours away as much as the planes, the were. planes were within a two-hour strike of Russia. Mm-hmm. Right. So he activates all these planes, but he had like 34, right? We decided 34. Yeah, it was 34 so. because by the end they're like four destroyed, 30 received. 30 it. received the, the recall. So then, so the next thing that happens, right, is that you cut to the plane, which is like one of the main planes that we follow. It seems like everything in the plane was shot documentary style. Well, and it's kind of interesting how they would name a procedure and then it would cut away to what they were doing and actually have like the labels and everything on it, like constantly. Yeah. It felt like a documentary that way. Yeah, I bet that when Kubrick made this movie, he had conflict with the Air Force to not actually give away I American did, military secrets. I did a bit of reading on IMDb, which is a very dubious source sure. anyway, so take it with a grain of salt. But the Air Force, upon reading the script, refused to help. Oh, but they really? had a picture of a B-52 from like a British magazine, and they tried to replicate it. And mm. it was so good that American Air Force personnel thought it they they had actually been ad, given access to a plane that Kubrick was so worried about how good it looked that he thought the FBI would start investigating. Oh, oh my God. Like, I mean, that guy was notorious for being detail-oriented, you know? Like, that's Kubrick. Yeah, that's Kubrick. Interesting thing, too, with the B-52 crew, it's, I believe, the first cinematic appearance of James Earl Jones. Yeah. You get to see a young Darth Vader. Little baby James Earl Jones. No facial hair. The only way I recognized him right off the bat was the voice. The voice. You can still hear it in the voice. You can hear it in the voice. And then it's Slim Pickens as the pilot. So he's the guy who has the... Uh, country drawl and the cowboy hat and the cowboy hat because when you're going into war you're going to run in like the cowboy chasing the one the best part is he's like sitting there the first couple of shots it shows him he's flying the plane whenever he's chewing some gum everybody fucking chews gum in this movie everybody chews gum yeah Yeah. all the time every military i love how he's like 
trying really hard to not take a nap. Yeah, flying. he's like passed out. He's like kind of half eyelid open reading a Playboy. He's flying the plane, but he's not like steering it or anything. He's just like there. <laughs> and then like everyone was kind of just there. Yeah, they yeah. were just like reading books or whatever. And then after a while, then they got the order to go bomb Russia. And he's like, oh, like after he ascertained that it was a legit, legit order. Yeah. Then he goes, okay. Then we're fucking badasses now. And he opens pulls a safe. safe and yeah. pulls out he the pulls out of the safe, which also has like the top secret plans to like of how to execute. But he has the a cowboy order. hat in there. Pulls out yeah. his cowboy hat and wears that for the rest of the movie, which is great. But then we also have the events in Washington DC. Right. Where we first start with a general who's I don't remember the name of the general. Do you happen to remember the name of the general? No. But it's most people general probably choose gum a lot. General choose gum a lot, who <laughs> is played by of course George Scott, who is best known for playing General Patton and Patton is playing an, this over the top general who when the initial phone call comes in, he just doesn't want to answer the phone, so he's basically He's on the can. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he doesn't want to... And his bimbo girlfriend... Who's oh, his, his secretary. secretary. Is also his, his secretary. secretary yeah. Just so you know, I did do the air quotes when I said secretary. 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 She's what? tanning, takes the call, and is like, I guess I'll answer it. But then she answers, like, really professionally. She's like, <coughs> oh, hi, you've reached General whatever's oh, office. Like, totally yeah. have done that. Like, yeah. you're like, oh, why is this person... Thank you for calling insert wherever company I was at at the time. Yeah. Turn on professionalism now. <laughs> <clears throat> so once they, they figure that out, the general gets the information that this order has gone out. And he's just nonchalant. And he's like, huh, okay. I guess I'll go to the war room and talk to eh. the president now. And then there's there's basically, from that point on, three settings, I think, in the film. There's the war room. There's the, the plane, the plane, and then there's the general's office. Yeah, the general who first initialized the order, his office. So then there's only four total because then there's the room that the general and his secretary girlfriend are in as well. well there's a couple so. of like other sets, right? Mm-hmm. So there's the British executive officer. He has a couple of scenes in like other rooms and stuff, but it's all at the Air Force Base. Speaking of that, did you guys clue into the fact that Peter Sellers is in is three different people? See, I didn't know. I I only noticed two, and then you were like, "Oh, there's three. I was like, "Who's the third one?" Because he looks so different. Because what were the two that you noticed? Um, the president, and then uh, Doctor Strange Love, because they both have the glasses and kind of like you could really see like the face shape. But, like he looks so different as the other yeah, guy. Yeah, he's like, also the executive officer that Charles just mentioned. So. Yeah. How interesting too that like Peter Sellers plays two characters that talk to each other quite a bit. Yeah. You know, like Doctor Strange Love talks to the president a lot every and time. It's seamless. He, like I mean, and, yeah, I didn't notice that either tells you that I don't pay attention or that it was pretty good. Or a little bit of both. Or both. Yeah. Well, it's the thing I noticed where when they are do talk, you never see the president's face. That's how they get away with it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So if Dr. Strangelove is ever actually appearing in the shot, because in the war room, when we first go to the war room, like Dr. Strangelove doesn't appear until Way I say later. 30 minutes to the end. Yeah. Like, it's, he's way in the back half of the movie. He, he's only brought in once they mention the Doomsday Device. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I want to say, another third of the way of the plot through yeah. where we are. So then there's a great big talk with all of these generals in this big round room that's the war room and they have a map up on the wall with lights in it that show where the B-52s are and you know where their intended targets are and what their secondary targets are uh, the thing I noticed I think it's on a binder for the General Scott we're gonna just call him General Scott because okay. it's played by George Scott written on there is world targets and mega deaths oh my god <laughs> <laughs> just like that's the literally the only note I wrote down was I'm like okay I have to remember my, this my one cents. specific bit 
But he goes off on this whole thing of, well, if we're going to bomb Russia, why don't we just go for it? And that's yeah. like his entire argument. That's that's his argument. That's his spiel is that he's like, well, it's too fucking late to recall the why thing. Did- oh, so the, the reason why they can't recall the bombers is that part of the protocol that's been issued, and that's what they talk about in the war room, is that this particular order, Order R. Yeah, it, yeah. it's... Order R or like or something wing, R. Wing attack, wing attack R. R. Wing attack R. So wing attack R is a provision that allows a lower general to execute an order without going through the proper chain of command from the president. Because it's intended, and they even talk about this in the war room, it's intended to be if Washington DC had been bombed or attacked, there would still be a protocol that would allow generals at these far out bases to initiate an attack on Russia. To make a retaliatory strike. Yeah. Right. Not just Russia, but that's where they... Well, just retaliatory, yeah. yeah. He's explaining wing attack R to the president, because the president is like, wait, I thought I was the only one who could make a nuclear attack. And he's like, yeah, but there's also this rule that you approved. Remember that? And this general, General Scott, that we're calling him, <sighs> he, his, like, like you said, Logan, his whole thing is like, well... It's too late now, so let's just go for it. Yeah. Let's just nuke the shit out of Russia Which, and prepare for a retaliatory strike. Because right and now. his whole thing is like, this is brilliant. This is great. We can we can basically just take out our enemy, and the enemy would just have no idea. Doctrine at that time was for mutual history destruction because that is what they thought of it is one moment one person nukes, the other one's going to launch nukes. Yeah, is you would launch your missiles first. Hmm. In this case, the missiles would have been second. Yeah. And so it was just when he was like, oh, hey, we can basically just knock them out. And his whole thing was like, oh, we might have a few deaths. Like, casualties might be like, what, 20 million? It's just like, just nonchalantly, oh, yeah, we might lose 20 million people. His his argument is that, okay, we could lose 20 million people, or you could try to stop them or not own up to it or not prepare a defense and lose 120 million mm-hmm. which is a little, kind of a big difference but at the same time like does both big losses right? yeah but the thing is is he's the entire time like the 20 million he's just like underplaying it yeah like oh it would just be uh and of course the president is just like i will not go down in history as the worst mass murderer since adolf hitler and then it's at this point that the russian, russian ambassador, ambassador is brought into the war room right and we get one of the best lines in cinema history there's no fighting in the war room. <laughs> General Scott and the Russian um, ambassador. Ambassador, thank you. The Russian ambassador. They do not see eye to eye because this guy's like all Russians are red commies, like they are bad. And the Russian ambassador is kind of the same way, but opposite. Right. And then from, he like tries to plant a camera on the Russian. Well, that's what the Russian like, guy claims. Right. Sure. Right. So there's there's a scuffle, and then the president walks up and says. You know, you men can't fight in here. This is the war room. Yeah. Which is, yeah, as you said, one of the best quotes of movie history as far as I'm concerned. So then they're discussing, they're trying to figure out how they can stop this thing. And so they call Russia, right? The president calls the the head of Russia. Yeah, and there's this... Dimitri. Dimitri. And there's this impression that there's a party or something going on when he is calling uh right there's like music right like, he I says, hear yeah. you can you turn the music, music down so you get yeah. this entire segment where like the world is gonna end and the president and the russian uh premiere are basically communicate can you hear me yeah i can hear you too like yeah that means we can hear each other it's yeah. just and it's, it's ridiculous i think part of it's also there there's a language barrier that they're trying to express by only showing one side. Yeah. Because um, it's a real long conversation. Of, I think like, a couple times like, it, of like this comedic like back, well, talking to back the, and forth. That's right. Like talking quoting. to the Russian yeah. guy and, and saying, you know, oh yeah, no, 
No, I'm sorry. No, I, I'm sorry too. I know you. Okay, you're sorrier. But, you know, and that kind of discussion goes on for a while. It's yeah. Very like, funny. I have the same capacity to be as sorry as you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so they call the Russian guy, and then the Russian. He talks to the president for a while, and then the translator, the Russian ambassador, speaks to the Russian prime minister, or whatever he is. Um, premier, is that what you said? I believe it's premier. Okay. And talks to him in Russian, and nobody in the war room knows what's going on, but then... But if you know, like, barely enough, like, Russian from watching American film from the Cold War, mm-hmm. you know it's not good. <laughs> right. You know it's not good, and you can tell, because they all get very serious, and the Russian ambassador gets very serious. And it's revealed that there is a doomsday device that the Russians have just built, they haven't unveiled it yet, um, that Basically, is automatically starting and can't be turned off once well, it's started. It's, it's not that it's automatically starting. It's that if a bomb, if we bomb Russia, it would turn on this device. Automatically. Automatically, and there's no way to shut it off. And this device isn't like a missile. It is literally like, oh no, it's a nuclear reaction or explosion. That's going to happen within Russia, but it's powerful enough that it's going to basically cause nuclear winter. Yeah, for 94 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, well it's not nuclear winter for 94 years. It's going to make the atmosphere radioactive for, for, for 94 years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Nuclear winter. <laughs> so now everybody's worried because obviously if one of those missiles, if one of those nukes gets through, it's going to activate the doomsday device and the entire world population is going to be destroyed. Yeah. Right? Because I remember this, this is the first moment where we see Dr. Strangelove. Right. Because the president's like, this doesn't seem even feasible. Dr. Strangelove. And so he brings out Dr. Strangelove so Dr. Strangelove can explain how, like, basically his department without really getting permission from anyone, because he's just, for for the sake of people who haven't seen Dr. Strangelove, by the way, watch it. Uh, yeah, please. Bef- please bef- watch it. Before you listen. Before you to listen to this, go, yeah. Back, yeah, go back and watch go it. Go back and watch that before you. No spoilers. Yeah, yeah, no spoilers. <laughs> he's this Nazi, he's a Nazi scientist. Yeah, he's, well, it's given the impression that he's an ex-Nazi. Right. Oh yeah, right? ex-Nazi. But like, oh, he's his, struggling most with... Most of his body is ex-Nazi. Right, The one right. hand, however... The yeah. one hand with the, with the black leather glove on it is still... It's still pretty Nazi. Pretty Just Nazi. Just the one hand, though. Now, peppered throughout these scenes in the war room and uh, in the plane, because we cut back to the plane every once in a while, peppered throughout that are these scenes in the general's office. So the first person, uh, sorry, the general who issued the order. Do so we know? not General Scott. Not it's like General, general Scott. Ripper. 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 It was Ripper. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So General Ripper was the one who issued the order. He's the one who kind of believes that communism should be cleansed. And he's a little bit of a whack job, right? A bit. A bit. So he's got an executive officer who is a member of the Royal Air Force. This RAF officer is kind of a good guy. And he's kind of like trying to stop this dude. But at the same time, he's trapped in the room. He's locked in the room with him. He's locked in the room with basically a suicidal psychopath. And General Ripper is like, I'm going to kill you if you try to escape or whatever. And General Ripper is the only person who has the exact code that can communicate with the bombers to um, send the recall order to tell them to stop bombing. Ah, so General, who we refer to as General Scott is actually General Turgidson. Well, that's why we Turgidson. It's still hard to say. Turgid. Turgidson. 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 That's what I actually said. I said that. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) No, I didn't. I think I said Turgidson. Turgutson. Turgutson. It, it, it related to the turducken. Of course, yeah. Oh, so the president says, okay, 
well, we need to get that fucking code because there's no way that we can guess we need to that recall, number. Yeah, we can't guess we need, it. We need to, right, we we need need to, to find a way to recall the planes. Because yeah. they... And the funny thing, because, again, going back to Dr. Strangelove, is apparently, without permission from the president, he had investigated in his department whether or not a, such a doomsday device, like this mutually assured, no, we're going to like just ruin the world mm-hmm. thing, would work. And apparently that's what inspired the Russians. Right, because Dr. Strangelove was like, yeah, it's completely possible. Yeah, we yeah. were going to do it. But then we, we just, just decided not to. Yeah, we just didn't. And then the Russians... Uh, also, a part of Doctor Strange Love saying is that he's saying that like, oh, the only point in having this device is if you advertise it, if you tell everyone that you have it, and then so and that's why like, he's well, like why yelling at the Russians like, why didn't you guys tell us you had it? And, and it was supposed to be like a surprise. You know how the, yeah. you know how the Kremlin loves surprises. Yeah. Was the line. <laughs> so yeah, they were going to reveal it on Monday, but they didn't get the chance. Yeah, like to. They, it's like oh well, nuclear winter came uh, literally a one weekend too soon. Yeah. So then, so the General Ripper is the only one who has the code, the the, the recall code that they can send to the planes to have the planes come back yeah. and not bomb and so not blow up the world. They send a bunch of army personnel or from a different base to go attack Ripper's base to try to get Ripper. And Ripper, of course, has in his golf bag like a full-on machine gun, and he's making uh, his British executive officer, who's played by Peter Sellers, like help run the chain. Right. Because And, of course, the guy's like doesn't want to do it because he's still trying to convince Ripper we should recall the planes and not be fighting our own troops right. to ensure this. And it's ridiculous because the guy keeps spouting off about fluoride. Right. And that fluoride was some communist conspiracy to, you know, take over the world. I mean, he sounds like an absolute crazy person. Yeah, but like at the same time, he doesn't sound that far off from a real conspiracy theorist. I'm sure right. there are people out there who believe that fluoridation oh, is bad. sure. That's but. what actually inspired it, was the fact that there are people out there, and it was popular mm-hmm. at the time, right. to think thing. that fluoride was some massive, like, communist conspiracy. There's a great dialogue exchange between Peter Sellers as their RAF officer and General Ripper, where <laughs> General Ripper is saying, like, have you ever seen a commie drink water? Oh, yeah. Have you ever it's seen like, a commie drink a gla- have a glass of water in their hand? No, it's always vodka, vodka. right? It's yeah. always vodka. Because the Russian, of course. Giving like. the impression that they drink nothing but vodka 24-7. And but I also love the fact that it would be like, do you think this guy is going to tell this crazy guy with a giant machine gun, oh, yeah, I have a communist friend and then he's drank water? Sure, of course. Like, yeah. you, you're damned if you answer that question. Yeah. So the RAF officer is, like, just going along with everything he says, even though he obviously doesn't believe it. And eventually the military, the the army troops that are breaching the military base do. They breach the base. They, they're, they've shot up big holes in the wall yeah. of his and office. And seeing defeat, does what any sensible man would do. He goes pretends to the to bathroom and... Pretends to be shaving, yeah. yeah. Pretends to be shaving and know that and shoots himself. And blows his brains out. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Um, I just look. Peter Sellers plays um, Captain Mandrake. Is his name Mandrake? Mandrake. Captain, oh right, Captain Mandrake. That's the RAF officer. Yes. the same guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Peter. So uh, General Ripper blows his head off in the bathroom, and now nobody knows the code. Right. The 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 one he's, code. Yeah. The MacGuffin, yeah. if you will. But, but it's not thankfully, because really he's an obsessed, crazy person, Mandrake's looking at his work, and he's been writing this weird, crazy... Uh, it almost looks like a crossword thing just yeah. over and over again of uh, peace on earth and purity of essence. Yeah. And, and he like, keeps going on about 
fluids. Yeah, the, it keeps going on the, the, to try the to bodily fluids. fluids to try to figure out what the code is. And essence, of course, is a euphemism and very clearly made as a euphemism yes. for semen. Because yes. there's even a one se- uh, segment where uh, Ripper talks about how he had a moment of clarity while in the middle of having sex oh, and he yeah. realized yeah, he that... Didn't, he didn't perform and then he realized it was because he... It was like they wanted to like suck out his essence... And so he no longer provides women with his essence. Right. He'll still have he'll still have sex with them, but they do not get his essence. His essence, right? Or semen. <laughs> if that wasn't clear. If that wasn't clear. Just in case. Because yeah. I think he basically flat out said it at one point. He got very close. It I don't know if so, he actually said allowed to semen, at that point. Yeah. Well, but, this is probably. If, to get into the film history aspect of it, in the 60s, right towards the, the censor board was still around, but this is definitely not a censor board approved film. No. No. God, no. Like, if um, there, oh God, what's the uh, Jack Lemon film with uh, Marilyn Monroe? Some Like It Hot. Oh, Some Like It Hot. Some Like It Hot wasn't even approved That's by the censor board. Film. So, yeah, this film definitely not approved no. by the censor board. Uh, so where are we at here? So he so he's, he's basically to... figured out that the code is some combination of P, O, and E. Right. They're just not sure what the order is. So he needs to communicate this to the war room. To the president. But, yeah. Right. But the soldier who has busted into the office has discovered that Ripper has shot himself. And so Mandrake is trying to basically explain, like, no, they want to talk to Ripper because Ripper's the only one who can call back the planes. Right. But I, I think I have figured it out. But this, so, this foot soldier does not care. Right? It's, he, it's, he it's, like this, it's like a colonel. or like, And the guy is just like, nope, nope, I'm taking you in. I'm taking you in. What was his name? It was like Colonel Bakwano or something. It was like, like yeah, something, something like, like ridiculous. Yeah. And it's like, is that even your real name? It was. Right. It was Bakwano. Bakwano. Yeah. Colonel right. Bakwano. Colonel Bakwano. So then there's a great scene where he's trying... He's like he finally convinces the the colonel that who's busted in that he needs to call the president because that's what the colonel's orders were to go in there get Ripper have Ripper call the president but then they find Ripper dead so uh, Mandrake says well I can you know I'm I'm his executive officer I'm the person that would talk to the president in that situation but of course since of all the firefight every phone in Ripper's office no longer functions because either the phone line has been cut or the cable has been shut off right so so he runs to a telephone booth right to make a collect call to the president of the United States to to a payphone yeah Yeah, and they won't accept the collect call because he doesn't have enough money yeah he doesn't have enough change to pay the machine and he's trying to tell the operator like like you cannot understand the gravity of what's happening right now you need to just let this call go through it's what like two or it's at least two minutes where he's basically trying to convince the operator to just let him place the call and he's 20 cents short it's like not that much to the point where he finally just is like fine we're gonna pay and he tells the colonel to shoot at the coke machine to just like open it up and get the change and the colonel basically is like like, doesn't want to do it because you know that's private property. Right. He says, He says. okay, I'm going to do it. And if it works, then we're good. But if this doesn't work, you're going to have to answer to the Coca-Cola company. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. in the whole thing, about it works, it means, like, you legitimately needed to talk to the President of the United States. Yes. Yeah. That's what <laughs> like, not like, oh, if I shoot off the panel, mm-hmm. I can get no, no, orders. Yeah, it was more right. like, yeah. the, you know, do you actually need to talk to the President? I'm just playing along here. <laughs> so then there's a cut. 
where basically from that point, then it cuts to the war room. It's implied that they've gotten the code and they've stopped the majority of the the planes. They did the recall. Except... For the one plane we've been following the entire time. Right. Now, there were apparently four planes which were shot down by the Russians. Except the one plane that we've been following with Cowboy Hat Guy... He his plane got hit by a missile, but was only damaged, wasn't destroyed. Right. Yeah, the missile missed and just uh, exploded in front of them. Took out and one the explosion of the engines. Took mm-hmm. out the engines yeah. and made them have a fuel leak. So they're 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 calculating: Are they going to make it to their primary drop point? And so, of course, since the president and the war room have all the plans, they could tell the they tell the Russians, "Oh, their place, the place that they were supposed to attack." is this place and then the secondary attack was this place throw all your air defenses there you'll be able to take out the plane but of course no one's thinking what are they going to do if they're leaking fuel and they can't make it there yeah so they're leaking fuel so and and they're not going to be able to make it and so the pilot says well we came all this fucking way but we're not gonna not drop a payload Let's just go to one of the other locations that's nearer to us and drop it there. Which, of course, because the Russians have relocated all of their air defenses to different places, is completely undefended. And the other lovely thing is on the flight there, the Bombay doors jam or like the circuitry is broken. So the pilot, instead of like sending someone else to do it, is like tells the co-pilot to fly the plane to the destination. Yeah, keep and he's it on the like, bomb drop yeah. yeah, and he goes on down, and he fixes the circuitry. He rewires the thing. Yeah, and he's sitting on top of one of the bombs. There's two bombs in the plane. And he's the sitting first on it, one yeah, is called, it. It's what? It's uh, high, high there. there. And the other one was and Dear, John. Dear John. Dear John. And so he's sitting on top of high there. He's straddling it. He's fixing the thing. He ends up fixing it with wire cutters, no less. And then the bay doors open and the payload drops and he's sitting on it. So he falls with it. And he yeah. and he pulls off his hat and he's hooting and hollering like a true cowboy all the way down until that it bomb hits. hits that town and blows up. And then it's a just from that point on is a montage sequence of test footage of nuclear a bit bombs. Of nuclear tests, but before the bomb has actually gone off, we actually missed the oh, scene. Sorry, sorry. Of where we see Doctor Strangelove at his oh, most yes. Doctor Strangelove. Yes. Where he's almost like excited by the prospect of the plane not getting shot down and the bomb right. going off. Because he's like, oh, what we can do is we can, you know, we have all these mine shafts. And what we, we can, we can basically can change them and rebuild them to where we can fit it with, you know, a couple hundred thousand people. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after a hundred plus years comes by, we can repopulate the earth. And then... Turducken. Turducken. There we go. General Turducken. Yeah. Also known as General Scott, also known as his actual name, um, is basically really excited by the prospect that Strangelove points out. It's like, well, to repopulate the earth, we're going to need like... 10 women for every man. Right. You but, to, but yeah. you know, because there's going to be so many women around and, you know, it's just like, they have to be all very attractive to, right. you know, incentivize the men to, you know, want to continue to copulate. Right. And you can just see, like, that general is just like, well, this has sounded pretty good. <laughs> right. The general has now lost his jacket. He's sitting there with his sleeves rolled up and his necktie loosened. He's sitting there next to the president and his eyes are going like saucers at the the prospect <laughs> of, ten, of ten beautiful, sexually attractive women to every one man. And he's like, well, Dr. Strangelove, don't, don't you think that's going to have an effect on our monogamous life? Or at least for the men. <laughs> and Dr. Strangelove goes, regrettably... Yes. 
Uh, and that has him completely sold. Yeah. Meanwhile, the entire time, Doctor the Strange Love has referred to the president as a ma- my Führer. Mein Führer, yeah. Mein Führer, yeah. A few times. He does the Nazi salute a few times. Yeah. So it's the same hand that has the black glove. It's like the glo- like the gloved hand is yeah. like. The glove it's of Nazi own Germany. Body. And it's it kind of like, like flies up, and then he uses his other hand to like restrain it down, like he has no control of it. Very like the classic gag of like the rogue hand trying right. to kill body you. Or whatever. In fact, you. the rogue hand even literally does do the whole choking thing at one no, point. No, it does, yeah. yeah. After yeah. it does the Nazi salute a couple of times, it like try it like creeps up and tries to kill him, and then he pulls it back down. And like almost falls out of the wheelchair. And then he stands up out of the yeah. wheelchair. And he's like, and my, it's like my my fr- is he saying my president or my Fuhrer again? I think point? he says mein Fuhrer. And then he goes, Oh no, I mean Mr. President. I, I, I mean, can walk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think that's that's pretty much it. Right? I think that's pretty much it. Then the bottom Bombs go off and everybody dies. Well then, well then, the the Russian ambassador goes over with his little watch and he like and he's actually is taking pictures. Actually, was taking pictures, right? Yeah. And then I don't know how much that matters though. Like why? At this point, it doesn't matter. But they are at this point in this scene. This is before the bomb has actually hit. So it's like that would have been actually useful intel. But the thing I find funny is they start talking about a mind gap because there's this the idea (laughs) is you never wanted the enemy to have more missiles than you. Yeah. wanted to be able to beat your enemy and have like superior numbers and all that and that was kind of what they were talking about like in this kind of cold war world which is why it was a big deal that the russians had the doomsday device right because we didn't have one i i thought when i was watching it when he is playing around with like the camera that he actually activated the doomsday because that's what it looked like no it was a camera that's an interesting take though because then that means the whole time he was lying so suddenly like there was that scuffle at the beginning with the camera and you think okay whatever like they're fighting over it they don't get along but then at the end, it was that the general was telling the truth and the ambassador was lying. Well, I yeah, no, know that he actually the activated the doomsday device with his camera. Well, no, but he, you know... He was lying about having he, the camera. But he was lying about having the camera. And so he was could definitely, he have activated it or done I don't something think so. to... I, I think it's that, not implied, but I think that's a possible take, right? Right, like, I mean, but either way... Well, it could I be wouldn't say so like, because just given how he acts... Throughout, like, when he hears that, oh, if this goes off, it's going to send off the Doomsday device, he is, like, terrified by sure. the prospect. I had, I don't think he would have set it off. Okay. Strange Love would have set it off. Sure. Strange Love would have been like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Right. right. So then back to what you were saying is that they're, now they're talking about instead of a missile gap, it's a mind gap. A mind gap. Because what, what if the Russians have more minds than us and yeah. they have more people? And, and then, then they do a sneak attack and, and try to take over out. the minds. Right. So we need, to, we need to have more minds than them and be prepared to sneak attack them so when even, we emerge from the minds. Even in this post-apocalyptic setting, they're still having a Cold War. Basically. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't go there's away. Just nothing, because you move underground. Yeah, like, there's nothing to stop them. It's a, it's a really interesting corollary, I think. So... With all that in mind, it's been, at least at this point, this was a mid-60s film. Yep. So black about, and white, by the way, if you guys yeah. didn't know that, if you guys haven't seen that uh, before. Home so, film was in black and white. 50 years looking back, do you think this film still stands up today? Yeah. I, I thought it, well, I mean, I think, you know, we all have kind of mentioned that it does kind of come at a, a certain time that is appropriate. Um but I mean, I even thought that, you know, looking at some of the effects that they did were like really cool considering they're like 50 years old. The planes looked great. Right? Like you can tell it's like a little model plane over footage of flying over Russia or whatever, but it's like, it works, right? Yeah. Like compared yeah. to some effects that you see at that time, like it's pretty good. And like, we, we should mention that we watched this on a really old DVD. Right. So I have a, I had this copy of this DVD that was from a collection of Stanley Kubrick stuff that I had bought at Goodwill 
um, that was from... Well, okay, to give you an idea, when we played the DVD, <laughs> yeah. at the very beginning, it had a whole sequence about how brand new DVDs were. The way how of the great DVD sure. was. They were the way of the And future. the copyright was like 1996. Yeah. yeah. So there, the DVD itself was pretty old. Ancient, yeah. And even with all that, the planes, the all of the effects, the explosions and stuff, looked really good. I, I mean, was considering how old it is, like, it looks great. Like, you're not taken out of the film by, like, a lack of quality, right? No, no. And it was honestly i i i totally saw all of the characters their yeah. point of views i they all there was no never a time where a character did something where i was like well that was dumb why would they do that you know which right. shows good filmmaking that stands the test of time because right. if and i can still um identify with these characters and i you know of course i'm not in the same life as them then that means it's a good film for me too um the comedy still sticks right i mean 50 year old comedy it still makes you laugh like you know i'm sure that there's maybe some other jokes now that go over our heads but in a roundabout way though like most of it's still funny it all still hits pretty good like good writing like and i thought that uh general i guess scott or whatever we were calling him like turducken turducken okay like he's fantastic like his expressions are hysterical yes. he's so good like there's actually a story behind it kubrick wanted his performance to be over the top and the story i always heard was that kubrick would be like okay we're gonna do one more take but just be ridiculous and he didn't tell scott that that was the take he kept using because mm-hmm. those were the takes he were it was going to use because those were the performances yeah. where scott kind of just didn't care yeah. it was just like oh i've already got it done it's in the bag oh i'm gonna be ridiculous well, and those were the ones cooper could use yeah. so apparently george scott like hated the fact that kubrick did that and uh-huh. but would also then turn around and admit that it was probably one of the best performances he ever gave us well, an you got to think too that you know with kubrick he's an a uh, director who's known for like being so nitty gritty, I mean, down to an actor's performance, where you'd be like, "No, you need to say it like this over and over and over." I mean, just look at like That's, the things he did on Shelley Duvall. Like, you know, he's yeah. that on it. But to actually have an actor be that expressive and over the top is like pretty rare for something in Kubrick's work. Like, yeah, to give him that. There's kind a lot of way, a lot of stuff in here where. I don't think people, if they had... Because I bet most people, when they go into this film, they're going into it because it's a Kubrick film. Sure. Sure. If you didn't know that going in, I don't think people would have pegged this as a Stanley Kubrick film. No, not at all. No, no. I mean, especially if you've seen things like The Shining or Clockwork Orange or films like that, you're not going to be like... You're going to be very surprised if you find that this is by the same person. Yeah. I mean, other than, like, if you look at, like, some of the camera work and stuff, because some of the angles and stuff are very, yes. very oh, Kubrick. The lighting, yeah, even, even though it's black and white, like, you can still see. It's totally a Kubrick a film, single, but... There's not a single, like, regular close-up. There's either you're way the fuck far away, or you're doing an extreme like close-up under their like, chin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The dramatic, especially on uh, Ripper. On Ripper, yeah. They did a definitely. lot of dramatic lighting on Ripper. A lot of scenes of him, dramatic lighting, blowing the cigar smoke into yeah. the air. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. great. So my favorite little thing in the movie was George Scott's character, when he's getting the phone call earlier in the movie, he's getting the phone call from uh, Ripper, I guess, that the bomb's going off. Yeah. And I don't really know why Ripper called him. Why um, did that happen? I don't think, it wasn't Ripper called him, it was someone else someone else from the base um, had called and said hey this the, is going on the flight yeah because it was a different like, name basically the attack wing is is, going, active. is, is going. active yeah and so he, he he's on the phone his girlfriend's right there 
um, or his secretary or however you want to call it is right there and she's laying down and you know she's poured into a swimsuit like a two piece she's yeah, oh yeah she's a, a hot mama and <laughs> she's she's sitting there and uh, or lounging on this on this bed and he's talking on the phone and he's wearing like a half open Hawaiian shirt and boxer boxers shorts, yeah and that's it yeah and he's on the phone and he does this thing or he slaps his belly really loud and it, there was like no real reason for it he was just like well all right <laughs> and that was it and it was really and that was my favorite part of the movie honestly. um i love that she calls him later at the war room to basically oh, yes. complain about why oh, he is like, now, now. Yeah. yeah i said never call me here and she basically wants to like is our relationship real do you just love me for my body and he's like trying to whisper to her while he's like getting grilled <laughs> like, by I the president like, i think this is the one time like one of the generals next to him was given a, a direction by kubrick to actually respond to yeah. what's happening yeah because it seems like most of them were all stone face, and right, then this yeah. one time you could kind of tell that the one general was just like, "What's Wait. going on with this?" <laughs> uh, Kelly, what was your favorite thing? Favorite thing? I, I still, I gotta go with General Scott's expressions. Like, I yeah. was so into that. Like, just the eyebrows and like his crazy body. Like his, his best one, I think, was when. Uh, the president asks him, do you think our fighter has a chance of delivering its payload? RB-52, the last one. This is toward the end of the movie. Once <laughs> and he's like, trips oh, and he's just like, like, he's so excited. Oh, no, yeah, like, our boys can talk. Boys can, and then he's pretending to be an airplane. airplane he's yeah. his arms out. He's flying around. He's like, oh, they're the best. Oh, Mr. President, you should see it sometime. It's so cool. And then, and then he then, just realizes, oh, and he's oh, like, oh, oh crap. Oh. I yeah, basically just said we might be, we might just, be. Or how he would just that. get so into like a topic. Like, I, And the one I just mentioned is like where he He's like so into it. He's running around and he just like trips and falls. Like, yeah. Just that, like, okay. That was, that, I don't know if that was actually written. I doubt it was. It that wasn't accident, written. Like, but apparently, again, trivia that I've heard is that Scott accidentally tripped. Yeah. But just going. kept going in character that Kubrick thought it was on purpose. Yeah. Well, and it would fit the character. He, he, yeah. he trips running backwards. Yeah. And then does a back roll and like a handspring up to standing yeah it's amazing it's really good yeah uh, no he he sold it for me i was like man this is great like, yeah. what a then, great character to watch i of course will have to say my favorite bit is it's oh it, it's just like i think it was the part i laughed the hardest at too because i knew it was coming it's like gentlemen there's no fighting in here oh, <laughs> this, yeah. is the war this is the room. that's the classic so yeah the classic just the classic yeah. uh just the and that's where I, I say that there, a lot of the absurdity is made clear, isn't yeah. that? That's at that moment exchange. where you're like, oh, it's this kind of movie, right? Oh, okay. there, yeah, there's a, there's a, certainly a, a, a turn or a point at that movie where you're watching it and you're kind of trying to figure out what type of movie it is, and a joke will hit you and you're like, oh, this is that kind of movie. Yeah. Okay, I've got it now. Like I get it. Yeah. Again, you Kelly, you say it stands the test of time. Charles, you say yep. it stands the test of time, and again. I. Totally agree that it stands the test. Since you've watched time. it more than once, you know. I think this is like the fourth time I've seen this movie. Right. Oh, well. So obviously, yeah. it, it so, stands. Yeah. Does but, it stand up since the last time you saw it? Yeah. Was it it's, so funny? One of the things about this film is I watched it so few and far between mm-hmm. that each time I watch it, I always go back and be like, "Oh yeah." This movie's really good. So you watched it when you were 5, 10, 15, and 20, right? Uh, yes, yeah. that's like, totally correct. I know, I want to say I actually watched it a couple years ago, right around the time... The, uh, so actually, no, last year, when the election was heating up. Oh, really? Mm. Um, it's a great film to watch if you're feeling particularly angry at the government, because yeah. you can really see... Yeah, there was, I, I, actually, I have a feeling that's when I... this. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think that's when I had a, honestly probably watched it after the election if yeah. I remember correctly because it just seemed appropriate um, and then before that would have been film school and before that would have been just you know in life so. yeah 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 stands the test of time Thank you for listening. If you enjoy Lights, Camera, Reaction, please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you want to stay ahead of the curve and avoid spoilers, on the next episode of Lights, Camera, Reaction, we discuss the 2001 film, A Knight's Tale. Lights, Camera, Reaction is a podcast by Team Blue Post. If you always want to be aware of what we're up to, you can always follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Team Blue Post. That's all one word. You can also find out more at our website, www.teambluepost.com.